Hey, what's up? My name is Steven, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. We're in the middle of a series, week three of XOXO, um, which stands for what? Hugs and kisses, hugs and kisses. And, you know, those hugs and kisses um, come quite frequently early on in the relationship. Uh, But if you're not careful, the longer you're in a marriage relationship, um, the distance can grow longer between the hugs and kisses and we start to take things for granted. And so this has been a really, really challenging series, hopefully for you, encouraging at the same time. Uh, first week we talked about, hey, the single season that you're in. For those of you who aren't married, everyone is always like, for the singles, they hear a, a, a you know a marriage and dating relationship series, like, oh, the eye rolls come right in the size. But you know, here's here's the thing that's true: is that is a gift, the season that you're in, just as much as those of us who are married. Married, that's a gift that we're in. Last week we talked about um, marriage is is more than a contract. And did you read the fine print that it's it's a covenant? Uh, relationship. And so this week, I'm going to talk about something that affects us all, whether you're married or not. Um, When Jennifer and I got married almost 21 years ago, um, we had premarital counseling, and it was our executive pastor, Brother Luther, baby, remember him, that did our premarital counseling. And it it was two sessions. And basically, the first session that we had was we filled out like a personality profile, and I found out, um, how my wife is crazy and I'm sane. Um, actually, it's the complete opposite. She is the sane one and I'm the crazy one. Uh, those of you who know me. And then, and then we also found out our spiritual gifts. And that was like the first hour for the next six hours. Basically, Brother Luther just told us a bunch of stories about his marriage. And some of those stories, just to be honest, I did not want to hear from my executive pastor because it's like, I don't, I don't want to see you that way. And he was in his 60s. And him and his wife had a very um, active relationship. I'll just say that. <laughs> and so they, they, they were very youthful. And so those are things that you don't expect to hear. And um, I will never share any of those stories with you. Um, unless I get older and think, hey, my people need to hear this, right? But here's, <laughs> here's like, we never need to hear that, Pastor Stephen. Um, but here's what I found, like, um, our first couple of years of marriage. Now, listen, we had dated, we've known each other since fifth grade, and we dated for four years before we got married. We were, you know, um, we took a break in between all of that of about two years. That was a time, a single season that Jennifer and I needed. But when we got married, what we found out is that we didn't discuss any of the things in premarital counseling that we were struggling with in our marriage. And so when Jennifer and I um, decided to, you know, when we had the opportunity to do premarital counseling, we, we talked about real stuff. Um, because here's what I'm finding is that most of the time, um, the conflict that happens isn't just because of the marriage. It's that um, a marriage is 
um, two people that come together. And so basically you have two people bringing people problems into a marriage, and then their problems become the marriage problems, right? And so it's not necessarily that people have marriage problems, is they have people problems that you didn't take care of before you brought into the marriage. And then the other source of tension in a, any relationship, but especially gets magnified within a marriage, is, is this whole idea of expectation and experience, and, and we all come into a relationship or we come into anything with a certain expectation of how things are going to go and um, what things are going to be like. And really, we aren't prepared in life for those expectations not to be met. That if we were to be truthful, a lot of times in life, those, those disappointments are more than the things happening that we want to happen. Like there's in life, and I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer, but sometimes there's more disappointments than there are non-disappointments, right? And so we are not always prepared for those. And, and when you come into a marriage, what happens when there's conflict and there's fighting is you have an expectation that, that each one of the individuals are bringing into the marriage or the relationship, and then you have experiences that don't meet those expectations. And so if you, if you look at kind of drawn it this way, put the first slide, um, was there a picture? Did you guys have a picture by chance? No, no picture. You didn't get it. Okay. So you have an expectation of how you want things to be, and then you have the experience. So if we were to look, we have the expectation over on this side of the stage, and then we have the experience over on this side of the stage. And what happens in between is this gap between what you expect to see happen and then what you really experience. And the gap between that is the conflict. It's the conflict between what you expect and what you experience. It's the gap between. And so, you know, some of the simple things as far as like domestic chores, when Jennifer and I are doing premarital counseling, like that's a tiny thing that we never talked about. But I had an expectation because of the way that I grew up that Jennifer was going to do everything. Because my wife, like, like my mom, she washed all the clothes. She cleaned all the dishes. She cooked like dinner was on the table every day by 5 30, 6 o'clock, and I didn't have to cook anything. I didn't have to clean up. Like, so that was my expectation. I did not have that experience, okay? Because <laughs> she grew up, no, it's not a bad thing. She grew up in a house to where everyone pitched in. And so that was a tension point. You know, she grew up in a house with two sisters, like with, with a sister and a mom, and you know, her dad, but had not had a brother. So she had an expectation of what it's going to be like living with a guy. Even though we had been together for four years, we had not lived together. And so you have these expectations. And even now, like one of the expectations is, look, if you use the bathroom, put the toilet lid down, right? Um, I'm in the house with like four other women. I'm outnumbered. There's more of you guys than there are of me. You can do the work, right? I'm just... It doesn't work that way, right? So we have these expectations, and the experience doesn't meet it, and so there's conflict. Guys, a lot of times, will go in with an expectation of how they think the, the intimacy in the relationship is going to go, and it doesn't always meet that, and so there is what? Conflict. And so I want you to understand that really, when you are having conflict within your relationship, within your marriage, what is happening, the issue is your expectation is not being met. Right? And, and when expectations are not met, really it is one of three things. When, when conflict happens, expectations, one, are, are first, they're, they're unmet. Okay? It just doesn't happen. Then let's, let, let's think about, well, why doesn't it happen? Well, for two reasons most of the time is that the expectation is, goes uncommunicated. 
you just make an assumption. And we all know the little catchy phrase, you know what they say about assume, right? When you assume something, what it does to us, right? And so when we assume that our spouse or anyone else knows what our expectation is without communicating it, and they don't meet that, we want to put the blame on them instead of on us because we weren't the ones that didn't, we were the ones that didn't communicate it. We expect them to read our mind. And what happens really a lot of times is the longer you've been together, the more you start to assume that the other person just knows what you're thinking. Am I right? So it's either uncommunicated, and the other one is this, is, is unrealistic. And sometimes we expect things of our spouse that really they just aren't capable of giving us. It's not a bad thing. It just is. Because we all have different personalities. We all have different skill sets. We all have different passions. We all have different desires that shape and form us uniquely. David says in Psalms, he says that we are fearfully and what? Wonderfully made. Okay? Now, a lot of times we want to like forget that people who are different than us are wonderfully made, and we think they're just fearfully made, right? But they are just as wonderfully made as you are in all their idiosyncrasies and all their quirks and everything that is different about you or different about them from you is a good thing. And so sometimes we put unrealistic expectations on our spouse to, to do things that they're just not capable of. And so some of you that are married in here or engaged or dating, maybe you're thinking through some of that as, as, as well. And what happens when these two things happen is when the expectation uh, is, is not met, then there is conflict. And so conflict is the gap between expectation and experience. And really, conflict is not a bad thing. Um, I did a, a little survey yesterday on Instagram, and let me see if it's changed. Um, when, it, when it comes to um, conflict... Typically, you can group people into two categories. Um, those that are sharks that just attack it, and then those of us that are turtles that, <laughs> that bury themselves in the mud. And so um, 46% of us are turtles, and I say us because I am a turtle. 54% um, of you are sharks. Now, this is like, yeah, get home. <laughs> Fish are not food, right? <laughs> they are friends. But here's what I know, is there are probably more turtles than what um, answered that survey, because in their mind, by answering that survey, they were causing conflict. And so, <laughs> so they were burying themselves. They were just like, next. <laughs> I'm not going there. I might get eaten by a shark, right? And so, so there are more turtles, I believe, than there are sharks. But here's what I know. Like, so those are the, the two total different ends of the spectrums. Healthy conflict resolution is somewhere in between. And doing some study, like there's, there's some different animals that they you know, characterize, like a fox or a teddy bear, these kind of things. But if we were to, to like group the two conflict resolution styles into those two, it's, it's going to be a turtle or a shark mostly. And, and here's what I know. How we handle conflict really kind of comes from how we have seen it handled by those who have gone before us. And one of two things happen. Either we mirror what we see or we do the complete opposite of what we see. Like my mom was a shark. Like she would just snap, 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 go at it. Well, I was like, I'm not going to cause any trouble. So, right, babe, like I avoid conflict and our coordinators and A-team know like, like when I come to someone on something that bothers me, that is a big deal, right? And so really even so, 
you can look at the shark and, and they're probably thinking, that's because I just handle the conflict, yo. Like, I just take care of it. But, but really what you're doing, if you think about how a shark, when it goes in and it attacks, it's a bloody mess afterwards. And so really a shark is avoiding conflict because they don't even let it happen. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's just like, I'll deal with this right now before he even like sticks his head out and comes up, snap. Like it's over with. Am I right or am I right? Okay? And so I'm kind of I'm somewhere in between. I can be a snapping turtle. Okay? I will bury my head until I've had enough. And when I latch on, it, you're in trouble. Right, babe? No, she's like, no, I'm not. I'm just a box turtle. Okay? <laughs> I tried to feel good about myself for a moment. But really, the healthiest way is to deal with conflict, not to hide from it, not to attack it and destroy it, but to deal with it. And so many times, what starts out as the um, unmet, like the conflict is, is the unmet expectation, and we're all true in this, is sometimes we're no longer fighting about that, but we're fighting about how we're fighting or we're fighting about something that happened outside of the moment that we started discussing originally. And so I want to go back, and I want to refresh us from a passage of Scripture that I read last week. And I want to remind us, for those of us who are married, and even those of us who will be married one day, our role and responsibility. So go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 through 23. But I'm actually, I want to read it again out of the message um, paraphrase, because I love the imagery uh, that this paraphrase puts it. In verse 21, it says, out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does for the church. Not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ, as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Then it says, husbands, here's what we're to do. We're to go, <clears throat> excuse me, all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. It's a love marked by giving, not by getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty, and everything he says and does is designed to bring out the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness, and that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. He says, no one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it, and that's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer are they two. They become, what, one flesh. Since this is a huge mystery, and I don't pretend to understand it. And I love these last three lines. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And in this, the last couple of weeks, that's what I want to make clear when it comes to, to us living in a marital relationship, that the picture that we pursue is what is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband treats his wife, loving himself and loving her, and how each wife honors her husband. And so refresher of a key statement I made last week is that marriage couple things. Marriage is not a contractual agreement, that it is a covenant relationship. And covenant is, is a Bible word that we don't use a whole lot in today's society, but a covenant is a never-ending 
sacrificial relationship. A covenant is a permanent sacrificial relationship. That's why when Jesus says at the old, like in the New Testament, at the last supper with his disciples, he says, this cup is a symbol of my blood poured out for you as a symbol of the new covenant between God and his people, which is never ending. That the relationship that God has created for you and I to have with him is beneficial for us, and it is never ending. And he has paid the final, complete sacrifice payment for that covenant relationship. And we see in scripture that, that a, a marriage is similar in that just as Christ is forever committed to the church, a husband and wife should forever be committed to each other. And, and I'll continue to say this. I understand things happen. I understand things break down for various reasons because guess what? We're unperfect. And people sin. And people fall short of God's best for our life. And that affects more than just us. It affects our spouses and other people. But when it comes down to it, when we look at our marriages, and I said this last week, we can either have a contract marriage or a covenant marriage. But when we look at having a covenant marriage, what we say is, I surrender my rights and I take my responsibility. That if we are believers and we are following Christ to the best of our ability, we're not going to get it all right, but we look at that relationship with our spouse as a permanent sacrificial relationship where you and I, we lay down my rights, where I give up my rights, and I take up all responsibility. And so I say all of that to help us understand this, okay? Um, we each, husbands and wives, we each have a responsibility to close the gap between expectations and experiences. So regardless if the responsibility falls on you, regardless if you made the promise and didn't follow through, regardless if you had the expectation and it didn't get met, whichever side you're on, you have a responsibility to close that gap. Now, it may not get closed all the way, but if we can narrow that gap, it, it, it lessens the conflict. Um, even if you're not the cause, you have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. And in order to do that, there's two things that, that you and I have to remember when we're fighting with our spouse. Um, and like, this is hard. Like, this is not easy by any stretch of the means. But we have to remember that, that, that we are not fighting for victory, but we're fighting for resolution. We're fighting for resolution, not for victory. We are standing with our spouse and taking that expectation and that experience and say, okay, how can we bring resolution to the middle of this? And how can we narrow that gap? Does that make sense? And so we're, we're, we're fighting to solve a problem. But so many times we go to fight to win. Okay, but we fight for we, not for me. We fight for we. Because look, no longer are you two when you're married, but a, a man leaves his mother and father and becomes what? One with his wife. And so we should no longer just be fighting for me, but we should be fighting for we. And, and, and I wrote this down. It's like when a person seeks to win an argument, the couple loses. I should have had more amens there, but that's because it probably stuck you in the gut about like it sticks me in the gut every time I read that, right? Because honestly, my wife knows everything. And she's right way more than I like to admit. 
And so in our relationship, and I'm just not just trying to get brownie points, in our relationship, if I can find a way to be right so that I can get a point on the scoreboard, <laughs> I'm gonna fight hard to get a I told you so. Any other men in the house? No, you're just gonna leave me on the stage by myself. I get it, put the spotlight on me. I had a couple in the back. That's because his wife couldn't see him. That's okay. <laughs> but, no. but if we're not careful, what we will do is, is we will fight to win because we have to feel like we, we've got to prove something. And when we are doing that, what happens is we may be feeling better about ourselves, but our marriage and our relationship is deteriorating one little, one little stone at a time. You know, because if you go and you read the passage, it says love, you know, is not boastful. We all know that, and we may not boast with our mouth, but in our hearts when we win an argument, like, I got this one, right? But when we start going to win for ourselves, the couple loses. And, and really where things start going off the rail pretty quickly is, is when we are, allow our emotions to get in the driver's seat. Um, emotions are not a bad thing. Emotions are a barometer. Emotions are a thermostat to kind of give us a check of, of, of where we're at, what we're going through. Emotions are not a bad thing, right? We could not enjoy life without emotions. I mean, imagine just going through life as a stoic, never laughing, never crying, never being angry. We see a multitude of, motion, of emotions in the Old Testament and New Testament that even God experiences. Jealousy, anger, joy. So emotions in and of itself are not bad. It's when we allow those emotions to jump in the driver's seat and we get in the back seat and we try to like take and we can't. And, and we wind up fighting about how we're fighting, um, and we start criticizing instead of complaining, and we start pointing out all the little things about our spouse or about our fiance or boyfriend that bugs us instead of what we do, guys, right? What we do is, is we take our focus off the matter at hand, and we start throwing daggers at them, Right? Okay, I will take the silence. It's like, just move on, Pastor Stephen. Just move on. And, and here's the truth. So um, when I look even at our own relationship, um, you know, and, and you think about just different things in general. Um, in order to strengthen something up at times, there has to be a breaking down. Um, in order to grow stronger, we have to go through moments of weakness. And if you think of illustrations of weight training and all those different things, and in order to get stronger in areas, we have to um, grow weaker in areas. And, and that's what conflict is. Conflict is tension. Conflict is friction. It's all these things that are, in one sense, making us stronger. And we have to understand that as a couple, that the price um, for intimacy, conflict is the price that we pay at times for deepening intimacy. And it may not feel like it at the time. You may feel like you're drowning or you're beating your head against the wall or, you know, any of those emotions. But once you walk through that conflict and once you narrow that gap between expectation and experience, when that gap comes together, guess what closeness is? Intimacy. And so when we're able in conflict to bridge that gap, intimacy happens. And just in prayer last night, I was just thinking like, when I think about even things in my own life, conflict conquered builds confidence. 
It's a preacher statement, right? It's got all the C's in it. Conflict conquered builds confidence. Anytime I've had a conflict in myself and thinking whether or not I can overcome something or, 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 or do something, when, when I overcome that conflict, guess what I have about myself? Confidence. When you have conflict within your marriage and you work it out and, and, and you bridge that gap, guess what you have confidence in? Your marriage. That you've made it through one thing when something else smaller comes along, like, we made it through that, we can make it through this, right? Jennifer and I had planted a church in the middle of a pandemic while she was teaching. Nothing can stop us, right? Absolutely nothing. But had we not have went through this season, we could allow some little things in the future to really trip us up. And so the conflict you have right now is building your confidence in your marriage later. And then, and then this, this thought, stress stabilized brings strength. Stress stabilized. When we are in the middle, like stress is not a bad thing either. Like we, we, we want to try to eliminate stress. If we had no stress, we would probably never do anything. It's when stress is um, like too much, when there's just too much stress in our life that it becomes unhealthy. But a good kind of balanced level of stress is good to help us move forward, to push us along. And when we stabilize that, if you think of, of like weightlifting and free weights, there's some instability in that stress as you're lifting. But the more you lift it, the more stable it becomes and you get stronger. And so how do we look? All right, so let's, let's look at conflict resolution. And there are dozens of ways that you can do it. Um, you can Google it, and you can find dozens and hundreds of different ways. But, but really, there's, just to go back to the basics, um, we always want to do the extra credit, but we don't want to do the assignment. So I, he understands the assignment, right? Um, <laughs> James chapter 1. Uh, verse 19, this is Jesus' brother, and he understands a little bit about conflict because he's watched his brother walk through it. And he says, understand this, dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to what? Listen and slow to speak. Thanks for some of you for playing along. Um, and slow to get angry. It says, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the fifth and filth and evil. Some of you may need to get rid of fifths hidden in your closet as well. Just kidding. Um, get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. Um, I've lost you. And, 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 and humbly, some things I should just think and not say. Um, and humbly accept the word of God that he has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. And so what James is saying here is, look, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and when we do those two things, then we will, what, be slow to anger. And so we want to, like, Google all these best ways of marital conflict, but really it boils down to these two things, be quick to listen and slow to speak. And it says that when we do that, um, that, that, you know, the power will say, it says that Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. And when we are slow to speak and quick to listen, it produces a different righteousness in us. Um, a different anger um, works through us. And so the first one is this, quick to listen. Um, quick to listen. I'll say it one more time. Quick to listen. Um, and really, it's almost like it's a, quick to listen is a slow process. It's almost an oxymoron. You want to start listening quick, but you want to also listen slow. Does that make sense? 
You want to be super quick to listen, but in the process, you want to listen slow because many of us are listening with um, the intent of to respond. All my eights in here, like, absolutely, I just want to solve the problem and move on, right? Um, but we need to listen to hear and understand. And so how do we slow the listening process down and begin it very quickly is what I'm saying. It's like we need to, we need to start the process of listening quick, and then we need to slow the process of, of, of speaking. So the first is this, is we want to listen to our spouse. Now, this is really a three-part conversation. When you're in a conflict or even you're listening, it's really a three-point conversation. Three person, yourself, your spouse, and the Holy Spirit. Listening to your spouse. What are they saying? What are they not saying? Um, be very intentional in listening and even repeat back to them what they're saying from time to time. I have to do that. Like, this is what I hear you saying. Um, we have to also listen to ourselves. Um, and by that, I don't mean you have necessarily self-talk, trying to come up with the best answer to one-up what they're saying or to justify or defend or attack or whatever, but what are you feeling? Like, take, take, take a thermostat of your emotions. What are you feeling? Like, what are you misunderstanding? It's like, all right, I don't really understand what she's saying. Maybe I need to ask a question. I don't understand where he's going on that. Um, uh, what lens or filter are you listening through? Maybe it's past hurts, past, you know, false perceptions, missing information, so listen to your spouse, listen to yourself. This third one is the most important. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Where is he leading you in the conversation? And Jesus says that when I go away, I will send you a helper, a helper, a helper and a comforter. That's a new word, guys, right? Uh, a comforter and a help, and he will lead you into all truths. And so we listen to the Holy Spirit in the midst of that conversation. He will reveal things about yourself and reveal things about your spouse to help you in that conflict in the moment. Um, listen to understand, not to reply. Quick to listen. Listen to understand, not to reply. A, a, a good thing that kind of helps us do this is, is ask questions. In the midst, once they stop talking, ask questions like, like, what do you mean when you nod your head yes, but you want to say no? Um, what do you mean <laughs> when you want me to move, but you tell me to go? Uh, nobody listens to Justin Bieber anymore. Okay. <laughs> so just say, what do you mean? What do you mean? It's like, what are you saying? Brene Brown, who's a thought leader and social, sociologist, she, she uses this statement. Um, paint, paint a picture of that for me. Can, can, can you paint a picture of that for me? Because so many times what happens is, is we start painting a picture in our own mind of what they're saying, and it's, it's like a Picasso, and they're trying to paint a Monet for us, right? It's like all like disfigured and just like warped, and it's like, that's not what I said at all. So just say, hey, what do you mean? Can, can, can you paint a better picture of that for me? Um, is this what you're saying? And what this does is this allows us to begin to break down assumptions. And this is what I'm really bad at. And those of us who are more thinkers than speakers, like we are having conversations with you in our head before we ever have the conversation, right? And we are playing out scenarios. And so we have an expectation of how that conversation is gonna go and because we have to role play and practice. And then when that experience doesn't match up, we have no idea what to do. <laughs> it's like, this isn't going how I planned. I don't know. I'm just going on assumptions now at this point, right? And so here's what we, we, we have to ask questions. And it's okay to ask questions. I don't do this well. 
Jennifer does this very, like, I don't ask questions well. And I get myself in a lot of trouble for not asking questions. So be quick to listen. And we do that by listening to our spouse, ourselves, and the Holy Spirit and asking qualifying questions. Um, the second thing James says is to be slow to what? Speak. Slow to speak. Proverbs 12, 18. And this is so true. Think, so true and gets us in so much trouble. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Man, it can be so easy in the moment of a heated battle just to let our words be reckless, to allow things that maybe we've been pushing down to come spewing out. And the old adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Words will never hurt me. That is a lie from the pit of hell. <laughs> Sheol, right? Like it's, it's just like... I did this illustration as a children's pastor, and it's, it's so childish, but it's so true. Like, if you take a tube of toothpaste and you squirt all the toothpaste out of it, it's there. You can't put it back in no matter how hard you try. And you can, like, cut the tube up, and you can try to stuff it all back in and tape it, but there's still a wound, there's still a scar. And it's the same way with our words. Once it's out there, it's out there, and we can't take it back. And so we have to not be reckless with our words. And I understand it gets really, really hard when we're hurt, but that's when we have to go back and we have to listen to ourselves and listen to the Holy Spirit to help us to be slow to speak. Because um, usually our initial um, reaction is defensive and offensive instead of diplomatic. And what I say is, is in the initial conversation when we speak is, is we either want to defend ourselves or we want to attack the other person, right? We want to defend ourselves or attack the other person instead of being diplomatic. So, so how can we be diplomatic? Um, there's a difference between complaining and criticizing, right? Most people don't understand this. I didn't understand this until I was preparing for the sermon. I was like, oh, that does make sense. To me, it's all the same. But businesses and restaurants have complaint departments, right? You can go online and you can fill out a complaint if an experience did not meet your expectation. And by making that complaint, that business, that company, that manager can then go in and either adjust expectations or make changes to the experience. Does that make sense? And that complaints are necessary to recognize what the gap in the experience and expectation is. But we take complaining as criticism. And criticism is not healthy. Criticism is pointing your finger at the person across from you and saying, you are, you did, this is, never Always, those words are criticizing. And what you're doing is basically what's happening is, is you know, there's the old adage, death by a thousand cuts, is, is your relationship is being wounded and dying by a thousand little cuts of criticizing. Complaints are valid. So when you leave here today, don't, don't look at your spouse and say, you have to stop complaining. No, what you need to say is like, I need to start listening to your complaints. Because some complaints are valid, and if they're not valid, my pastor would always say this, like, perception is reality. 
There is a little bit of truth in everything. If the perception is wrong, well, then let's, let's make an adjustment in the perception. If the reality is wrong, then let's make an adjustment in the reality. But we need to understand some things that we need to be careful about when we are, being, uh, when we are speaking, okay? To be slow to speak, um, we need to be careful when it comes to contempt and stonewalling. Um, and there's actually a study that was done that when you look at relationships, if there is a heavy amount of criticizing, contempt, and stonewalling, um, the difficulty for that marriage to stay together increases. And so when you look at what contempt is, and that may be something, this I wasn't aware of this until studying for this, it's, it's making a person um, feel less than, um, and even yourself feeling that a person is beneath receiving honor, um, that they're worthless, and you may not ever say that, and then maybe sometimes you have, but sometimes we say that with our eye rolling and our sighing. Like that may seem completely like unimportant and kind of nonchalant, but what happens is like Chinese water, water torture, like eye rolling and sighing over years, over years, over years that builds up and that wears down on your spouse. And it may just be something simple. And, you know, Scripture says it's the tiny foxes that spoil the vineyards. It's the eye rolls. It's the sighs. It's the shrugging of the shoulders in contempt that can really damage a relationship. And this is the one that, that I'm the world champion of, um, stonewalling, <laughs> right? If there's a belt for stonewalling, I would have it. I would be like, mild, like welterweight, heavyweight, because I'm a turtle turtle and I just close up, right? I just close up and I don't want to talk about it. Sorry, Dana Carvey, am I not turtle enough for your turtley club? Anybody else, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> but, but stonewalling, stonewalling is fine. I won't be slow to speak. I just won't speak at all. You don't want to hear what I have to say, so I'm not going to say anything. And so what happens is you start pushing it down, pushing it down, and then you explode. And that's not healthy for anyone. That's, that's what I do. Like, I just like, I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to make a big deal out of it. I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to make a big deal out of it, you know. And then when I explode, it's like blood everywhere. Then I become a shark, right? And that's not healthy either. So let me encourage you, couples, listen, when you go to speak, be slow about it. Ask questions to clarify what each of you are thinking, um, give your complaint. You know, scripture even says, like, God's okay with us complaining to him. So if God's okay with us complaining to him, spouses, we need to be okay with our spouse complaining to us. It says, bring, like God says, bring me all your complaints. And if we understand that we are a covenant relationship and that when we have conflict, that what we're doing is we're fighting for resolution of bridging that gap between expectation and experience, um, then we're fighting for each other, not just for me. Remember, we're fighting for resolution, not for victory. We're fighting for we. We're not fighting for me. When a person seeks to win an argument, the couple loses. Colossians 4, 6, it says, be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down and cut them out. And even go back to what we read earlier where Paul says, look, it is the husband's responsibility to bring out the best in his wife, that everything that he says and does bring out the best in her. So how do we do this? All right, 
go back up and read this passage where where James says, get rid of all the filth, all the filth and all the evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. So he says, look, there's some things you need to get rid of and there's some things that you need to accept. There's some things you need to get rid of and there's some things that you need to accept into your heart. And so the, and like anytime you go into a fight, there's always this pre-fight training, right? Champions are never made in the ring. They're made in the training room right? And so before you get into the ring with your spouse, before you get into that conflict, there's some things that you have to do that, that pre-fight training, and it's two simple things, not simple, simple but not easy, right? Simple but not easy. One is surrender your pride. Surrender your pride and remember it's always we over me. Once you say yes, not just to the dress, but to eternity, <laughs> right? It is we over me for the rest of your life. And it, look, guys, I, I know there are seasons that, that happen and we get selfish because we're, we're flawed. We're sinful. There's still things God, that is, God is working out in us, but we have to surrender our rights and assume responsibility, surrendering our pride. And the second thing is this, is guard your heart. These are things that we have to do with our spouse and for our spouse at all times before we get to the moment of conflict. Luke 6.45, it says this. It says, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And this last line is the truth. What you say flows from what is in your what? Heart. So the words that we speak, you know, there's a passage of scripture that says that we will answer for every idle word. The words that we speak are um, what's actually in our heart. And you want to know what's in something, put it under pressure. You want to know what comes out, put it under pressure. Heat it up. And, and, and you think about like, you know, diamonds are made under pressure. Coffee is made thanks to hot water, you know. You think tea is made thanks to hot water. Carrots grow soft in hot water. And if you look about in our relationship with our spouse, when the pressure is on, what comes out is what's going to be in our heart. And so we have to be like dutiful and say like like we we have to be diligent in in making sure that we're putting not just good things but god things in our heart about us man and this is man not in my notes but so true and Aaron you know shared this a little bit it's like like seeing ourselves how god sees us because sometimes we project how we view ourselves as how our spouse sees us and we're attacking them for how we feel about ourselves that can be kind of deep. And so we need to take a look at how God sees us and let him do a healing work in that process. But then we also need to be careful and, and see our spouses as God sees them. Like I said at the beginning of this message, like, like there's not really marriage problems. There's people problems that we bring into the marriage. And we have to understand that whoever God places us with is not perfect because guess what? You're not perfect, Right? And we have to give them the same amount of grace that we want to receive. The flip side, 
we have to receive the same amount of grace that we're supposed to give out. And so with that being said, I, I, I want to take a moment and, and I want to pray for our, our, our marriages in here. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, because some of you may be in the midst of um, a huge conflict. Or maybe it was something minor that has exploded and you don't even realize why you're fighting. You just know that you're fighting and you're fighting about how you fight or you're fighting about whatever. Um, I just want to ask just for a moment, just for the Holy Spirit, just to intervene into that relationship. Or maybe you've got something coming up and you don't know how you're going to weather it, but I'm believing conflict will deepen the intimacy of your relationship. Um, and I also want to pray for, for those of you who are here today that, that, that maybe a conflict ended your relationship. Um, for whatever reason, you're back in the single season believing that God is the redeemer of all things, and that he takes things that are broken and makes them beautiful. He trades beauty for ashes, a garment of praise for despair, and that he can um, redeem that. But Father, I just come to you in this moment. God, I thank you for your presence in this house today, God. I thank you that um, you're always here. God, I thank you for your word that is challenging us. I thank you for the laughter that we've experienced as well, just to kind of soften the blows. But God, I pray that your word would also do its work. God, in, in, in my heart just as well, that we would grow to be more like the one you created us to be, your son. We're not going to be perfect, but God, I pray that we strive and that for those of us who are married, that we would take these opportunities and challenges of, of conflict not to um, run away from each other or run away from you, but God, to run towards you and pull closer to each other. And that as we do that, Father, we are uh, painting a picture of the love that you have for your church. And so, God, there may be some in this room that are really struggling in their marriage and their relationship. And maybe there's things that have been unsaid, God, that there's stonewalling and contempt and maybe even criticizing where there should be complaint and there should be um, collaboration. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just intervene. God, that you would break down any barriers of pride or, or fear or doubt or insecurity that is driving a wedge between them. That you would create a safe place for communication to happen. God, for those of us that are here and we're in this series because we attend this church, but maybe we're not married or our marriage is falling apart. God, we stand on your promise that nothing is wasted and nothing is withheld that you can take previous seasons of pain and current seasons of, of learning and growing and just create something better than we could ever imagine for our future. So God, I don't know everyone's story and everyone's background, but I do know you and I know what you're capable of and I know what you're willing to do. And so Father, I just pray that um, you would speak into our lives. God, lastly, but definitely not least, God, if there is anyone in this room today that does not have a relationship with you, 
just with every head bowed and every eye closed, just to give them a moment to acknowledge that they need a relationship with you. God, I ask that they would just raise their hand just so that I can see and celebrate it. If that's you in this room today and you need a relationship with Jesus and just say, Jesus, I give you my life in this moment, would you just quickly lift your hand and you can put it right back down and I want to pray for you. So Father, you see see these hands and even for the hands not raised, God, you know their hearts. So God, I pray that you would take away all the old in this moment and everything that has been made new. God, they would see themselves as as your son, as your daughter, confidently um, following you, feeling loved, feeling cherished, and who you created them to be. God, we thank you for what you've done in this room, in this house, and in our hearts today. And it's in your son's name we pray. And everyone says, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a hand clap this morning. 